Macro Podcast number 134 for October 22nd, 2008, sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Macro Podcast listeners can get a free audiobook now at www.audiblepodcast.com slash macworld. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Breen. As you're likely aware, last week Apple released new MacBooks. The plain vanilla, which in nearly all cases is now the aluminum MacBook, the MacBook Pro, and an update to the MacBook Air. Macworld.com executive editor Philip Michaels speaks with lab director Jim Galbraith about how some of these new Apple laptops have performed in the lab. Later in the podcast, I speak with Ryan Rosenberg, vice president of marketing and services at FileMaker. And the subject is Bento 2, the newly released update to FileMaker's Easy Does a Database application. But before we get to those interviews, a little news and commentary. As Phil and Jim mentioned in their interview, there's an amount of controversy surrounding these new MacBooks. And that controversy is basically two-pronged. The MacBook has no FireWire port, and all MacBooks except the 17-inch MacBook Pro, which has had some slight improvements made to it, but isn't a complete refresh like these other MacBooks, comes only with glass, glossy screens. If you're a fan of the matte-screened MacBook Pro, you're out of luck. Apple has taken it off the menu. And the arguments have been undertaken along the traditional lines. Those who object to the loss of FireWire and or the loss of the matte screen are whiners, and those who don't care are Apple apologists. In this case, I largely count myself among the whiners. When I purchase a new Apple laptop, I get the Pro model because I like the bigger screen and any extra power it can provide. So for me, I'm still safe on the FireWire front, but I understand that those who invested in DV camcorders a couple of years ago may feel more than a little put out that if you want a new MacBook and intend to use it for video, you're also looking at a new camcorder. Steve Jobs allegedly sent a customer a message saying that all modern camcorders use USB 2.0 connections, so it's no big deal. But then not everyone has Steve's bank account. On the other hand, a good portion of the MacBook's target audience is students, and students are far more likely to carry something like a Flip Minnow or Kodak ZI six-pocket USB camcorder than something that requires tapes and FireWire. For me, the bigger deal is the lack of a matte screen. I do some photo and video work on my laptop, and I just don't care for the way images look on these things. Not only do you have to put yourself in a position where you're not getting reflection off the screen, but I find colors way too bold and saturated. I occasionally work with images on my wife's iMac, which has this glossy screen, and I have to remind myself not to dull them down in iPhoto because they appear too garish on her screen. Fortunately, I'm not in need of a new laptop, and so I can get along just fine with my older MacBook Pro, and I suspect that people who object to the new MacBooks for one reason or another may find themselves in the same position. Live with what you have, and when the time comes that you really, really need a new laptop, see what Apple has to offer. But honestly, I'm holding out no hope for FireWire on the plain old MacBook. Apple's not inclined to change its collective mind when it's abandoned a technology. And given how popular Apple's laptops are, the lack of sales isn't going to cause Apple to rethink its position. In what's become a predictable pattern, Apple is a year or so ahead of the general population when it comes to abandoning widespread technologies, and they expect that we'll learn to live with it. Which, if today's presence of floppy disks, ADB keyboards and mice, and scuzzy peripherals tells us anything, we will. And speaking of MacBooks, Philip Michaels and Jim Galbraith are here to talk about how these latest laptops perform. 
How big a deal are the new MacBook and MacBook Pro models? It is such a big deal that lab director James Galbraith was supposed to have a day off today, and he said, no, I'm canceling my day off. I Give me my stopwatch. I'm coming into the office to, to test and time MacBooks and MacBook Pros. He is a dedicated employee, so dedicated that he's even appearing here on the Macworld podcast. Hi, Jim. Hello. How are you doing, Phil? Very good. Uh, thank you again for, for coming in today and for uh, for giving us all these numbers on the MacBook and MacBook Pro. A little a little uh, uh, behind the curtain here. We're recording this on a, a lovely Monday afternoon, uh, the podcast you're probably listening to on Wednesday. So these numbers that we're talking about have not actually been published on the site, though they will by the time you are listening to this. If that makes sense to you, please send a postcard to us <laughs> explaining it. Um, let us talk about the MacBook. Those results we actually published uh, last Friday. That's correct. Uh, the 2.4 gigahertz model that Apple just updated. What's the verdict there from the perspective of the lab? Uh, well, they are indeed faster, and that's a good thing. And uh, we, uh, you know, the it was faster across the board uh, than the old versions of the MacBooks, the the plastic. These are uh, the, the, the old versions are 2.1 gigahertz and, and a 2.4, both 2.4 white gigahertz. systems that right. we tested. Um, the old 2.4 got a speed mark score of 190. The aluminum got a uh, score of 212. And, and, and these are uh, MacBooks, again, essentially with the same processor speed. Yes. So what accounts for the improvement in performance? Well, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of new improvements, but the most, uh, the one that probably gets the most credit or should get the most credit is the NVIDIA graphics. Uh, they've got, they're much more powerful and, uh, where some of our tests, the old MacBook was not even, couldn't even score. We just had to put NAs and charts for the old MacBooks at some points. That was on particularly graphically intensive uh, uh, programs. Yes, or other people call them modern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, ouch. But yes. Uh, so uh, you know, compared to the 7.6 frames a second uh, we got on Quake Four uh, using the old MacBooks, and including the new. Well, it's not new, but the current bottom of the line, the only remaining non-aluminum uh, the, MacBook. The 2.1 gigahertz white plastic MacBook. Exactly. It, this is the model Apple now sells for $999, right. I believe. That and its 2.4 counterpart back a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. um, got 7.6 frames per second. We're now getting in the neighborhood of 40 frames per second. Now, one of the big problems with the um, the graphics systems in the older MacBooks were the fact that you're sharing memory both between the graphics, uh, the GPU, and the uh, main system memory. That hasn't changed in this new MacBook, correct? Right. It's still sharing system memory, but there's more memory. It has access to more memory uh, to share, uh, and that memory is running faster. And uh, I believe it has its own... GPU as opposed to the others, which were just kind of integrated into the CPU. I see. I see. Um, and the big improvement, of course, being in games. Uh, I, I believe Peter Cohen, if he were here, first he'd insult the both of us, and then <laughs> secondly he'd say uh, something along the lines of many um, – Many games were moving in a direction where they would have been unplayable, unusable on the uh, previous generation of MacBooks. So by adopting this new uh, uh, chipset, this uh, NVIDIA chipset, uh, uh, MacBook 
users will no longer be shut out of that. Well, yes. I mean, if you, uh, it just it wasn't very powerful, and uh, and the in the results that we're going to be testing, there will still be some NAs uh, for the uh, for the uh, white uh, plastic MacBooks. So it's a good thing. Now, one of the things that uh, uh, I found striking when looking at these results is how well the 2.4 gigahertz MacBook uh, performed compared to a MacBook Pro. This is the 2.4 gigahertz, the current version, as a matter of fact. Not not an older MacBook Pro, but the, the one that Apple updated last week. It's the entry-level MacBook Pro, sure, but still it's a, a, a professional-level laptop and a consumer-level laptop that's a little bit cheaper than it. Uh, $400? $400, yeah. Uh, Performs just about as well as it. Just uh, it had a, a speed mark score of two fifteen. Uh, the MacBook Pro did versus two twelve for the the MacBook. Uh, what yeah, do you make of that? Well, uh, now it's your question. I mean, I, I guess your buying decision between going for MacBook Pro and MacBook is not about the kind of performance you're going to get. It's more about whether you're going to have an expandability, whether you're going to have a FireWire port, uh, the screen you size. Know, if, there, if there's one thing I've, I've, I've known from looking at the Macworld.com forums, no one has an opinion about FireWire ports. <laughs> no one. Who, who, if yes. you have an opinion about FireWire ports, please come to Macworld.com because... No one has posted a thing on that. I hope the sarcasm in my voice is is evident. Yes, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's been that that this transition's been painful. Uh, you know, we had some problems back with the MacBook Air, uh, trying to change our testing schemes to uh, to accommodate. Now, so, uh, talk a little bit about that and what specifically uh, is the problem with a lack of a, a FireWire port from. Uh, your perspective as a as a guy who's got to uh, test these systems. Well, FireWire target disk mode was uh, just a godsend. Really, it was made it so easy for you to be able to transfer files back and forth. Just to be able to turn your computer into a, a hard drive uh, that you could then do you know, use the migration assistant to to clone systems. It just it worked really well. I mean, it, it never failed. It was just uh, it would just work great and uh, made it much easier for us to do our job. Um, now we uh, <clears throat> USB you can't really do it over USB, so you can do it over Ethernet. And with gigabit Ethernet, that can be fast. But we have run into some issues. Um, we're trying to work those out now. But uh, uh, before some updates came out after the launch of the uh, these new MacBooks, but after we started testing, right. um, these uh, you know we were having some we were not able to use uh, the migration assistant that way. We were able to uh, to copy the our systems over uh, by restoring from a time machine backup that we were making of our of our test machines. And so anyway, it's been those kinds of things have been a struggle. I think other people I've had some people write in saying you know what do I do with my camcorder now? I want to buy one of these new MacBooks. I can't afford a MacBook Pro, but I need FireWire. What's going on? So we'll be looking into that too and seeing just how how up the creek people are who might be owning <laughs> one of these uh, systems. Let's um, turn our attention to the MacBook Pro, which which still has good old FireWire. Thank goodness. Yes. Though it's only got 800, so you'll need to be carrying around uh, special special cable in case you have a FireWire 400 devices. Mm. Now, I'm uh, I'm looking at these results for the first time. You you gentle podcast listener, 
have probably already uh, poured over these results at Macworld.com. If you haven't, we'll include a, a link in the show notes. But, Jim, tell me what I will be reading in the future, because reading is for suckers. <laughs> Well, yes, let's see if I can work this out. Okay, so uh, we tested. We were able to get uh, both the 2.53 gigahertz uh, MacBook Pro and the 2.4 gigahertz, gigahertz new MacBook Pro in to test. And we already know that one because we've just been talking about it, but the 2.53 results were, are, will be new to this uh, to this benchmark story. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, uh, we found that uh, at Speedmark, we got a score of 231, which is very respectable. Uh, it's about 7.5% faster, um, the top of the line over the bottom of the line mm-hmm. uh, of the MacBook Pros, and uh, which is faster than the CPU itself. There's a 5.4% faster CPU in that 2.53 system. So uh, we're getting 7.5% faster uh, performance. That could also be due to the doubling of the RAM. That MacBook Pro 2.53 now includes 4 gigabytes of RAM. We'll be doing some testing with uh, some other RAM configurations, but uh, we tested it as shipped, um, and we saw uh, 16% faster Photoshop tests in this high-end MacBook Pro versus the 2.4 MacBook Pro that just came out as well. I'm gonna gonna throw a question out there because I don't see this on the chart. Is this the fastest Mac portable ever, or was the fully loaded? Uh, uh, older uh, MacBook Pro model that Apple put out. Was that a little bit faster in our test? I believe the uh, build-to-order system will be faster. It had a, we had a 70, we had a 7200 RPM drive in there sure. uh, as well as that. So we also have one of those on order. We have a uh, fast hard drive and the 2.8 gigahertz uh, optional processor. We have that system on order. We'll be reviewing that as soon as we – well, not reviewing, but uh, – Testing. Testing. Testing and reporting certainly. on it, Yes. Now I'm uh, looking at the the current the the new MacBook Pro uh, performance numbers as compared to the the old uh, top of the line MacBook Pro the 2.4 gigahertz uh, Core 2 Duo model that came out in in February mm-hmm. of this year and pretty much the new MacBook Pro model uh, uh, beat it across the board uh, in some tests it seems more handily than others. Is it entirely the difference in uh, processor speed from a 2.53 gigahertz chip to a 2.4 gigahertz chip, or are there other factors at play here as well? Well, there's going to be more factors at play. Um, there's already a 15-point difference between the uh, the old 2.4 MacBook Pro that you were just talking about and the new 2.4 MacBook I Pro. See. And that, uh, you know, there's faster RAM. Uh, there's there's a few under the hood improvements that are going to help. Are the uh, does the graphics um, since this is using the well the graphics situation is a little bit more complex on the MacBook Pro, but it is uh, it is using the, this Nvidia chip that also um, uh, made its way into the MacBook. Is that having any sort of impact on performance as well? You know, I'm well. The fact that Photoshop got much faster. Uh, between these two 2.4 gigahertz systems uh, is, is leading me to think that possibly Photoshop is able to take advantage of some of the new graphics. Um, and if that's the case, then then there's your uh, there's the proof. Uh, as far as Quake tests and some of our game testing, which I have right here, um, I don't think we're seeing that big of a difference between the older MacBook Pro and the newer MacBook Pro. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a few frames, 10 frames per second and Doom 
uh, eight frames per second here, four frames in. In fact, the old one got a little bit, of, a couple of frames faster in Quake, and uh, yeah, so pretty comparable, really. Uh, Call of Duty, uh, about three or four frames difference. So I, I wouldn't count. Uh, I wouldn't give the Nvidia graphics, at least game scores, uh, the nod on why this scored faster. Now let me uh, let me uh, uh, backtrack here. I alluded to this in my my previous question. The MacBook Pro has a couple of different uh, uh, graphics options, and I wonder if you could uh, explain what I'm having a hard time explaining here, and then uh, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, what you tested with the, the various graphic systems that, that are, are at play in the MacBook Pro. Okay. So far in our testing, you know, very good question, though. I'm going to go check out this. Uh, I'll ch- try Adobe with that. I didn't try the Photoshop test on both graphics cards. But um, in terms of speed mark, we tested all the MacBook Pros with their new uh, and their highest graphics setting, and that's using, what is that, the 9600 M, the NVIDIA GeForce 9600 MGT uh, graphics processor as compared to the 9400M that it shares with the MacBook. So yes, the MacBook Pros now have two different choices for when you're using it on how you want to use uh, which graphics car- graphics set you'd like to use. Uh, one offers higher performance, but is a you know more of a power draw. So uh, when you're plugged in, you can have all the performance of uh, this 9600. MGT, uh, but when you're going on the road, you want a little bit of better battery life. You can switch to the 9400M and get you know squeeze out another 45 minutes of battery life. Speaking of battery batter, battery life is what we were speaking of. Um, you've also been testing that uh, in in the lab, and uh, what have you found out with these new systems uh, in terms of how they hold up uh, battery wise? Yeah, well, this is a little preliminary as they're still running them. Battery testing takes quite a bit of time, mm-hmm. as you might imagine. Um, but uh, right now, it looks like the the new MacBooks are suffering a little bit. Uh, about, I'm seeing about a 20-minute uh, difference uh, uh, between the MacBook 2.1, the white one that's still in the uh, product line, which we got about three hours out of, of battery life uh, versus two and a half hours about for the new uh, aluminum MacBooks. And this is kind of a torture test. We've got, we're we're looping uh, video from the hard drive. We've got the screen set to brightest and to, you know not dim and we're set it to you know highest uh, performance settings. So that would sort of explain the disparity between the numbers you're getting and what Apple uh, lists on its uh, tech specs uh, pages for both the MacBook and MacBook Pro. I believe, I don't have that page in front of me, but I believe Apple lists five-hour battery life for both the new uh, the new laptops. Right. This is, um, they used to publish a couple of different numbers. They had a, the um, productivity Battery test, which was you know have have a word document open and check your email every ten minutes and go through a script like that. Um, uh, ours is more trying to simulate you know you've ripped a DVD to your laptop and you want to watch it on a flight. It's really some power grabbing tests that we're that we're right. using. Right. So, but the bottom line here is that at least in these preliminary tests, which are ongoing as we're recording this and hopefully uh, completed by the time you're listening to this. Uh, the new models seem to 
not quite equal the battery life in the older uh, MacBooks and MacBook Pros. No, but in this testing, which is you know kind of worst case scenario testing, uh, you could get through most movies mm-hmm. if you, if that's what you're trying to do. So uh, that sort of covers the extent of the testing that you guys have done. I realize that uh, evaluating. Uh, uh, the MacBooks and MacBook Pros take many uh, factors into consideration. It's not just a matter of looking at the performance numbers when we assign a mouse rating to it. Uh, and, of course, those reviews will be coming soon on Macworld.com if they're not published already, uh, which is a long way of leading into this question. As a, as the lab guy, as the guy who's tested these models, are you impressed with the changes that Apple's made? Uh, what uh, impressed you the most? What disappointed you the most? Uh, the disappointment, that's, that's a pretty easy one and probably you might be able to guess that it's the lack of fireware in the MacBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but also the MacBook is also the most impressive as far as, uh, the way it's been able to narrow the performance gap at least between it and the pro models, which now, uh, is really, you know, differentiated by ports and expandability and a, an inch or two of uh, screen size. Well, thank you very much, Jim. We'll let you uh, uh, get back to finishing up those tests so that you can go and enjoy the rest of your week off. Well, thank you very much, Phil. Okay. Back to you, Chris. Before we get to my interview with FileMaker's Ryan Rosenberg, a word from Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of digital spoken word entertainment, offering over 40,000 audiobooks for your iPod. Get a free audiobook download when you try the service at www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld. Check out great titles like I Was or The Second Coming of Steve Jobs for your free audiobook credit. This is a special offer for Macworld podcast listeners. So to get your free audiobook, visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld. Now, Ryan Rosenberg and I talk Bento 2. Before we start that interview, though, I wanted to apologize for some of the audio quality of Ryan's responses. We conducted this over Skype, and as all too typical of Skype, we had a few glitches in audio dropouts. We're joined by Ryan Rosenberg, the Vice President of Marketing and Services at FileMaker, and we're going to talk about Bento 2, the new version of FileMaker's personal database application. Ryan, thanks for joining us on the Macworld Podcast. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. As Bento is a relatively new product, I think the first version was released in January, maybe you could talk a little bit about what Bento is and who it's designed for, for our listeners who may not be familiar with it. Sure. The the main purpose of Bento is to help people to bring together all the information that's on their Macs to help them to become more organized. We found that people had lots of tools that let them manage individual pieces of information, for example, addresses in address book or photos in iPhoto or files in the file system, but there really wasn't anything that helped them bring it all together. The other purpose of Bento was to introduce a whole new generation of people to what databases can do. Uh, We, of course, with FileMaker Pro are the leading database on the Mac, but not everybody who has a Mac uses a database. And so we put out Bento, a personal database um, that's as easy to use as iTunes, really, to help a new generation of users pull their information together and find out what a database can do for them. So given all that, who's the ideal user for Bento? So the ideal customer, in fact, the typical customer of Bento is someone who 
has a, an important task they need to get done, whether it's a, a work-like task um, such as organizing a small business or whether it's a personal task such as um, uh, putting together um, information on a, a book that they're writing. And either way, people use um, Bento to pull together all that information. One of the things we found in our research is that about 75% of Bento users use it at home. That's a little bit different than other databases such as FileMaker Pro, which were a little more likely to be used in an office setting. What we found is the people who are using Bento at home, half of them are using it for work. So maybe a business on the side, a second business, selling stuff on eBay, for example. Or they're, they're using it at half the time for personal projects, uh, organizing something as simple as, as let's say, their, their Christmas card list or as, or as important to them as, as uh, you know, keeping track of, of all aspects of their life. Bento comes with about 20 different ready-to-use templates that people can help people get started. So we have things in there such as keeping track of your, uh, of your home inventory. That's actually a very popular one. People want to keep track of the things they have there for insurance reasons or uh, keeping track of things like your, um, your vehicle maintenance or other critical things, uh, uh, you know, planning an event, your wedding in Bento. So there's a lot of different uses of Bento uh, for people, but the typical user is, a whole, is, you know, is using Bento. They're a consumer. They have a Mac, and they have a task to get done, and they're really not interested in spending a lot of time learning use a product. They want something easy and quick and simple. With Bento 2, which came out last week, what were your goals for this new version? So with Bento 2 and with every version of Bento, we have one key goal. is We want to make we want to organize even more of people's information, and we want to make a database even more accessible than before. So if you think about what we put in Bento 2, it fits those two goals. One of the you know, most important new features is the ability to organize your Apple Mail. So you've got, let's say, um, let's talk about that wedding you're planning. You're going to have um, all sorts of um, tasks you have to keep track of, which you can already store in Bento. You're going to have lots of uh, people you need to keep track of in Bento. You're going to have you know, places to book for your wedding, you'll keep tra- that track of Bento. But the one thing you couldn't do in Bento 1 was link all your email. So one of the most important new features in Bento 2 is the ability to organize your mail along with all your other information. Bento 2 can pull all that information together too, link it all up, and you're more... So bringing emails in is really an important part of Bento 2. So with the mail integration, you now drag mail directly into Bento? It's, it's very simple. You click in... Uh, uh, um, you. you place in Bento called the message list. You click a little plus button, it opens your Apple Mail, and then you can drag any mail items into Bento. The other thing, by the way, you can drag into Bento are any notes that you have taken. You can now drag notes into Bento as well. Also, if you happen to have RSS feeds, you can drag them in. Let's say that, for example, for a wedding you're planning, you've got an RSS feed from Wine and Food Magazine, and you want to track the recipes that you think are really good or the wines you want to serve. You can drag those in so you can keep track of, of both uh, emails as well as notes as well as RSS and Bento 2. One of the other features in Bento 2 is improved spreadsheet exchange. Can you compare how spreadsheet information was exchanged in the past and how it's different now? Now, the way that you move information around between spreadsheets, let's say, or between a spreadsheet and a word processor is you don't import it. What you do is you copy and paste and so we've added that into Bento. If you have a spreadsheet open and you want to bring that information in, just select the information you want, copy it, and paste it right into Bento. And that's true with Numbers as well as Microsoft Excel, correct? 
through for numbers in Excel, and it works, by the way, going out of Bento as well. If you have some critical information in Bento, let's say uh, um, for that wedding you're planning, you've got all the costs, and you want to make a chart out of those costs. You can simply select that copy of Bento and paste it into a spreadsheet and chart it. The other thing we wanted to do for spreadsheets is we recognize that everybody, pretty much everybody that buys Bento knows how to use a spreadsheet. It's very common. People have seen them. They've, they've used them. And so we've out of spreadsheet-like behaviors in Bento. So when you open up lists of information in Bento, they look like a spreadsheet. When you want to type information, new information into Bento, you just start typing it in. You don't have to create a field first. If you can use a spreadsheet, you can use Bento. And that was the idea that we had for Bento too. We wanted to make it very comfortable and easy for spreadsheet users to get their information in and then just to use it when they get it there. And what were some of the other most requested features from users that made their way into Bento too? Well, one of the things people really have said at the beginning is that they're, they're very proud of what they've created in Bento. They've created uh, a wedding planner. They've created a, um, a, 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 you know, a project manager for themselves. They've created a great way to organize their day, and they want to share it with other people. I've had two people, Bento was launched, come up and tell me that they've created the world's greatest knitting database. You know what? They probably, you know, one of them probably has. <laughs> so the, the, the point is they want to share that with other people, and Bento 2 allows them to do that. You can export templates now and send them to someone else and the other person can import them and they have the, the, they have the solution that you've created. Another wonderful new feature is the ability to get more information out of your contacts or more of the point your contacts more. We have one-click access to Google Maps for any contact and we have one-click access to uh, iChat for any contact as well. So talking about that wedding, if you, wanna, if you needed to quickly call the caterer because something's running late, click again and you have a map to where they're located, click again and you started a chat session with them. Really nice stuff. Um, another that has been very desired has been uh, additional themes. One of the things people love about Bento is that you can't create an ugly database. Bento's designed that every database looks good, and the reason is because every database uses theme, uh, a professionally designed theme you know, put together by Mac artists. And so we've added 50% more themes, that's 10 new themes, uh, into Bento too, so you have even more ways of looking at your information. And you know, themes are, are great in the sense of um, um, you know, looking good. They also are useful. If you're going to plan a, a party for your two-year-old's birthday, you're going to want that to look one way. If you're going to do this context, you may have a different feeling to that information, a different way of looking. So this allows you to have a different look for different types of information. So at a glance, you can see what it is that you're dealing with. And this question is prompted by some discussion in our Macworld forums. One of the most controversial aspects of Bento 2 is the pricing. The first version costs $49, as does Bento 2, but there's no upgrade price for owners of the first version. Could you explain the decision to go with that pricing model? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a fair question. When we um, started looking at the pricing of Bento, we thought of having a traditional pricing model where we had a higher price for new users and then an upgrade price for, um, for, for existing users. And what we decided to do, since Bento is really a product designed to get as many new people into databases as possible, was we decided to, to lower the new price, if you will, and have one very low price for everybody. So $49 is about as low as it gets for uh, a database product that can organize your whole or um, you know, run, run, your, you know, run your business on it, and yet um, 
you know, we're able to hold the line on that pricing. So that was the idea. It was one low price for everyone rather than a higher price for new users and a lower price for upgraders. The second thing is we were two from, from Apple's products. If you look at the way that iWork is priced, which is a very um, popular product among the Bento uh, uh, base, by the way, but many of them have iWork, um, or iLife, those products have, are, they have one price for everybody, and it's uh, it doesn't change for um, from release to release, and it's a, you know it's the same same pricing if it's new or or existing. Fair enough. Thanks very much, Ryan Rosenberg, for joining us to talk about Bento Two, which is now available from FileMaker. Uh, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed talking about it, and and um, we're very excited about Bento Two. We think it's going to introduce a whole new generation of people to the power of databases. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Macworld Podcast listeners can get a free audiobook now at www.audiblepodcast.com slash Macworld. I'd like to thank Philip Michaels, Jim Galbraith, Ryan Rosenberg, and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at Macworld.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-520-9761. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPhone, Apple TV, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time.